welcome to Spiritual Wanderlust, where we explore our interior life in search of the sacred. Many of us will travel the whole world to find ourselves, but here we'll follow those longings within to our spiritual and emotional landscapes. In each episode, we'll talk with inspiring guests, contemplative teachers, embodiment experts, neuropsychologists, and mystics. With a blend of ancient wisdom and modern science, along with a healthy dash of mischief, we'll deep dive into divine intimacy and what it means to be whole. I'm your host, Kelly Deutsch. Hi, everyone. Kelly Deutsch here. And today I have joining me Mitch Ganey. And Mitch is a coach and a counselor um, who focuses on the transpersonal and the somatic, um, which, you know, for any of you who um, have focused on embodiment and other things or have started working on your inner work, I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. Um, and Mitch, I'm really excited to have you too, because I love your backstory. And I think there's a lot of people who resonate with um, the path that you've taken. And so I'd love if you tell us a little bit about, about your story, starting from, you know, your Pentecostal roots to where you are now. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Kelly. Um, yeah. yeah, a little bit about my background. So I actually started off about, I think mum took us to church when I was about three years old and we went to the Anglican church, very kind of small little local Anglican, or I think it's like the Episcopalian church, similar over in the States. Uh, very mainstream, very evangelical. And I was kind of captivated by this concept of God. And I remember there was the screen that we would have the little projector to put the, the songs up on. And I was convinced because everyone faced the direction and saying there that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit obviously lived behind that projection screen. Mm -hmm. I was very disappointed during the tea break when I peeked behind and, and it wasn't there. But so I kind of grew up in, in that particular environment. But even at a young age, I had this very strong questioning and curiosity of, well, there's got to be something real to this. There's got to be something experiential to this. Like it can't just be concepts and words. Like if God is real or this thing that we call God is real, um, surely there must be like a felt dimension to it or a, you know, a lived experience of it other than just people coming together and saying, we believe this. And so then when I was about 13, 14, went to high school, started reading all of these things in the Bible about miracles and tongues and prophecy. I was like, what's this stuff? I want this stuff. And so annoyed all of my teachers at my Christian school that I went to asking them questions. And then I think I stumbled across Benny Hinn on um, like morning television. I was like, whoa, what is this? Um, somehow convinced my mum to go and buy me one of his books um, and then found out that there was a, a charismatic Pentecostal church down the road from where we'd just moved. And I'd heard about the charismatics and Pentecostals, um, but had been told by the church that I grew up in that they were bad and they were wrong and they had bad theology and they worshipped the Holy Spirit and all types of things. And I just kind of was like, oh, okay, cool, they're bad. Um, but curiosity got the better of me and I went along to this, this Pentecostal church. 
which had like a history of revival and all of that stuff um, and was just absolutely captivated by it, like that kind of static worship and, you know, I went to the youth group and they've got like the dark room with all of the lights and the very emotional music. And I, I felt things, I felt a weightiness in the room. I felt something stirring in my heart and, um, I watched people cry when they got prayed for. And, um, and then I had this experience where they, they laid hands on me and, um, out of my tongue, out of my mouth poured forth tongues. And I was like, what the heck is this? Um, and yeah, just went through this stage at about 13, 14, I think, where I was just captivated by this sense of what I called the presence of God at the time. There was a sense of closeness and intimacy with this love. Um, and even as a, as a young guy, I would kind of be in maths class and I hate maths. I was never good at maths. So it's probably just disassociating um, that, yeah, I would just kind of be absorbed in this contemplative kind of state of just being in my heart and, and sensing this presence. And I would walk and talk with God. And um, that was a, a big formative part of my life. And and pretty important for a kid that already felt a little bit on the outside. I was already kind of having the inklings that there was something not quite right about how I was formed or, or something along those lines. Um, but I kind of really threw myself into, into church and got more and more involved in it. And it became very much part of my identity and probably some of the more unhealthy sides of that kind of movement crept in um just the kind of the the guilt and the shame the legalism about what's right and wrong and you know as a 14 year old i should be spending four hours praying each night and you know not watching television because the television was bad um and and alongside that journey of this deep longing for god as expressed in that particular tradition was this growing sense of oh crap I think I'm gay. Crap. And so they were a really good, healthy mix, Kelly. Um, that did really well for my mental health <laughs> for many, many years of kind of trying to push that down and suppress that. And, you know, the nights crying and begging God to take it away from me. Um, yeah. And it kind of all reached a peak in my, I think my, very early twenties, I'd gone and worked for a church in the UK, um, for about a year, which is again, a very powerful time of my life, uh, where I experienced things that I'm still kind of unpacking, uh, good, powerful, healing things. And this growing disconnect between, Oh, there's a there's a part of me not welcomed here or there's a part of me that's bad and i can't seem to get rid of it and god doesn't seem to be healing me from it um so i must be doing something wrong or there which really turned into there's something wrong with me mm. which all reached uh 
big pop in, I was at one of their festivals in the middle of worship. There's like 10,000 people around me in this big tent. We're all praying and worshiping. And I was like, God, I just want to deal with whatever this block is. And I had the most horrendous, horrific panic attack of my life. Um, and not knowing what a panic attack was and being a very good charismatic, I obviously assumed, oh, I'm manifesting a demon. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, so I got taken outside and very gently prayed for and a very lovely woman just was like, breathe, try breathing, um, and managed to calm me down. And it was probably a moment where I felt after I'd kind of calmed down and discharged all of that stress from my body, I again just had this moment where I kind of sunk into some quietness that I hadn't been able to reach for a while. Um, and I sensed this voice, this relationship, whatever we want to label that. It basically said, do you trust me to deal with this? Do you, do you trust me to start unpacking this? And of course, at the time I went, oh, that means I've got to start confronting this so that God can heal me. Um, and so I started doing some counseling with a church member who promised me that God was going to heal me very quickly. Um, then found out a few months later that he had a, uh, a, reputation had been caught again for convincing young men around my age to have naked counseling sessions. Um, oh. I missed out on that one, thankfully. Um, and so a lot of anger and rage came up and around that. And I decided to tell the pastor of the church that I was going to back in Australia, which again started this process of kind of Christian prayer counseling not as extreme as some of the Exodus stuff, but still a process to try and pray the gay way out of me. My mental health just plummeted. I was very unwell and unhealthy for many years. Uh, and all through that time though, I kept, whenever I would manage to find a place of quiet and calm within me, and I would sense back into that place that something within me that I might call God or I just was always met with grace and I was always mm. met with love and was always met with this I don't care like I don't care um like do you love yourself can you love yourself can you accept yourself um and so that started this process of going, well, I'm feeling and sensing this. And honestly, it's the only thing that's making me want to stay alive right now. And my interactions with the established evangelical church that I was a part of was having very much the opposite impact to me where I was going, I don't know how long I can keep this going. I don't know how long I can carry this and, and survive through it. I lost a lot of weight. I was taking sleeping pills during the day just to like not have to think. Um, and yeah, really went through this process of 
going, okay, like I'm gonna have to, if I'm, if I am to live, if I am to survive, Mm. I am going to have to learn to trust this. And that is terrifying. That's scary because what if I get it wrong? I go to hell at the end of it all. But there's this impulse towards life here. And surely if God is love, then then that's the direction I'm going in. And that kind of threw me into studying counselling and therapy, which every good counsellor and therapist will tell you that we all study it because we're actually trying to fix ourselves first and understand our own pain. Um, and working with young people experiencing homelessness and people from uh, war and torture backgrounds and starting to learn all about trauma and trauma in the body and um yeah I, I kind of just have been on this journey for the last 10 years or so of studying more about how our experiences shape us and gets lodged in our body and our brain and how they contract us and um, and how our religious upbringings or our spiritual experiences can be traumatizing and then going, okay, well, how do we, how do we heal that? How do we renegotiate that? And what does it look like to not just approach life, embodiment, spirituality from the head, but actually meeting all of those painful contracted places in us, seeing what happens when we meet them with compassion and they kind of heal or, or metabolize or whatever language you want to use there. And then what, what's left afterwards, what, what's present there. And, and what I tend to find more and more is the more that I meet my fears, the more that I do my work and I, I look at some of those painful things in my life and, and heal or, or meet them that that quiet still place is what's underneath and being able to access that more and more. So that's something that I'm really passionate about and curious about in life is there was good in what I grew up with and it, and it taught me some powerful things. So what does it look like to take the stress and the pain and the, the unhelpful stories away from that um, so that I can continue to live in that forward living, forward leaning impulse towards life? And what does yeah. it look like to create spaces like that for others? I think what really strikes me about that really beautiful and vulnerable story is how much um, pain and difficulty there is, yet how much um, peace and presence you're able to offer today, you know, and that, mm-hmm. you know, just every time you, you turn inward and you're like, yes, in that quiet, still place, it's like, I feel like I'm brought into that with you. And I'm curious how that transition happened, you know, and I know (laughs) you're talking a lot about, you know, healing trauma and the, like working with pain that's lodged in your body and um, yeah. What did that process look like for you? Because obviously that, that doesn't happen for any of us overnight, you know, where we go from just. Someone just prayed for me, Kelly. It was was a miracle. Um, It was a miracle. (laughs) Yeah, what a great question. Um, do you know what? It's 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 kind of the opposite of I think that saying a death by a thousand tiny cuts. It was kind of like healing by a 
thousand tiny little touches or band-aids or Mm. whatever it was as much as there was this and I'm very honest about this as much as there was this part of me that was like I want to die like Mm. I'm so weighed down my mind was so messed up um I felt horrible in my body like there was electricity in my body all of the time um there was just this little glimmer that was like, there's, there's got to be something more than that. So I just kept leaning into that. And I was honestly just willing to do whatever it took um, to feel better and to be better. Um, and I think a part of my, a part of my early healing was <laughs> probably trying things that I'd always been interested in that I was told was bad or that I wasn't allowed to do. So I remember I went for my first Reiki session and I was like, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to go to hell. Help me, Jesus. I'm so sorry. Protect me if I do this. And as this lovely woman just held space for me, she didn't say much. She kind of put on some like chilled music, put her hands on my shoulders. And I just felt this calm wash over me. And I was like, oh, this kind of feels like when, someone I trusted used to pray for me and I would kind of feel the stillness and settledness. So well, maybe it's not bad. And um, so I think that was the big key for me was I, I followed my curiosity around what's, what's actually happening. Like, what do I experience when I do this thing? Does it feel good or bad to me rather than what I've been told? Um, and the other thing was, being really curious about other others. Hmm. What's your experience of life and how do you experience this? And how do you make sense of this? And, oh, there's a different perspective. Oh, and you're a really good, kind, healthy person, but you don't believe this. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and then the other thing was just lots and lots of therapy. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Uh, I am a big advocate. Well, one, I am a therapist, but, um, I just think what a gift to give yourself to say, I'm going to pay someone or find someone for free. If there's free counseling in your area who isn't like deeply invested in my life and who can just literally sit there and listen to me process, ask really good questions like you're doing now, Kelly, and, and help me make sense of things. And then that kind of went in this, uh, somatic direction for me. So working more directly with the body. Uh, and there was, there was a few reasons for that was I'm a fairly heady person and fairly intellectual. And I became that way in order to kind of protect myself from the chaos inside my body and my world falling, <laughs> falling apart in front of me. Um, and so I could talk myself out of feeling anything or, or not really having to address things. I could rationalize it. Um, and so having someone very gently lead me to, and what do you feel as you talk about this particular pain? Like, oh, it really hurts. Um, but also I was, whilst I was going through all of this, I was working with young people experiencing homelessness. And again, like I just would always sense this deep well of compassion when I would meet some fairly challenging children, uh, young people. Um, And again, there was this curiosity there of 
well, just talking about your story doesn't seem to be helping you. So there's got to be another, there's got to be something that actually brings change and healing and shifting. So, so what is that? And so again, following that curiosity, I kind of found somatic work and uh, emotional freedom techniques and focusing mm. and then started having these moments where emotions would come up and I would be able to hold them sometimes well, sometimes not so well. And then again, afterwards, there would be this, oh, it feels safe in my body again. Oh, I can, I can come here. And then life would happen and my stuff would get triggered again and I'd be back up in my head and frozen and, you know, out of my body. And then I would go through the process again. And even last night I was, I was sitting down, uh, kind of my little meditation prayer spot, tapping away, going, okay, what fear is here right now? Like, what am I scared of? Like, what judgments have I got? Where am I feeling that in my body? The tears are coming. Then again, at the end of it, there was just that, it's okay. I'm okay. Mm. I don't understand anything that's going on in the in, in the world, but I'm okay. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's really been it. I was dogged in my pursuit of healing and wholeness because mm. I, mm-hmm. I believed it was possible. Yeah, and I f- I feel like that's such a common experience for those of us who are on a path of you know inner healing or inner work or you know mm. spiritual growth and maturity is especially when we start to become aware of those various traumas and you know, things like that, that, I mean, let us know in the comments below if your experience has been different, but I found that the vast majority of people found that for trauma, talk therapy is just not effective. You know, yeah. you can talk about it a lot and sometimes that can um, kind of loosen up some areas, mm-hmm. but I've never found that that really resolves things. And so being mm-hmm. able to find something that is more somatic since all of our, you know, modern research in the past decade is showing how much it affects like our nervous system and just gets lodged in our very mm-hmm. muscles and the ways that we carry ourselves and respond to reality. So I find that really interesting. And I know that's, you know, an interest that we share, um, you know, the neuroscience and the embodied and um, healing and, I'm curious if you would share with us what, what emotional freedom technique looks like, which is also called tapping for those of you who yeah. haven't heard of EFT. So like, what is that and how does it work and why should we be interested in it? Yeah. So EFT or emotional freedom techniques or tapping, uh, it's been around, it's been around for a while now and it's based off uh, traditional Chinese medicine, acu acupressure points, uh, which was kind of how it was discovered, uh, where essentially, uh, I believe his name was Roger Callahan, was the kind of founder, discoverer, uh, had a, a client who had a water phobia. So I think she'd had an experience when she was younger where she almost drowned or something like that. So she had this intense fear of water. Um, and she'd been seeing Roger for months and months and talk therapy and and nothing was really shifting and Roger actually had a pool right near his office so she was constantly being triggered um and he'd started uh studying acupressure and acupuncture and there was a particular point on the face I think it was here that was associated with fear and so he was like one of those therapist moments where you're like, oh, I'm really at the end of my rope. Let's just try, let's just try this. 
And he said, hey, look, just while you're talking to me about this, I'm just going to get you to tap on this point here. And so she was talking about the water phobia, just tapping on this particular acupressure point. And the story goes that she kind of had this big yawn. She cried a little bit. There was a little shiver. And then she just went, I don't think I'm scared of water anymore. And he was like, okay, that's nice. Like, of course, until she literally got up, ran out of his office and dived into his pool fully clothed and started swimming around being like, oh, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it. And Roger went, huh, <laughs> there must be something in this. And so he developed a thing called thought field therapy, uh, which was, is beautiful. It's, it's recognized in the States on, I think your version of Medicare or whatever you guys call it over there. Uh, and then a engineer came along, Gary Craig, who was like, well, this is all very complicated. We could put this in a very succinct system. And so he kind of took thought field therapy, developed into emotional freedom techniques. But what we think, so I work a lot, a lot with Dr. Peter Stapleton, who is one of the world's leading researchers in this area. Uh, her area of specialty was working with uh, people with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And again, this curiosity around just talking about it isn't shifting. There's got to be something more here. And what we, we think happens is when you think of a particular situation or you're triggered by something. So <clears throat> uh, this woman, water. So whenever she saw the water, thought of water, the amygdala would fire off that fight or flight center in our brain, floods the body with the stress hormones, your rational thinking social brain starts to shut down. The part of your brain that processes language starts to shut down, which is why talk therapy isn't always helpful. Hippocampus records the memories in really strange ways. And basically you're in this, you're in a stress response and you're going to react out of that space. And somehow they found that if you could very gently expose someone to what their particular trigger was. So for this woman, it was water. For me, it might be, um, you know, maybe I had a conversation with a family member yesterday and I just finding myself really irked about it. So as I think about that, I notice the intensity in my body again. Okay. So there's some fear here. And we found that as you exposed yourself to that fear, and you tapped on certain pressure points in the body, which are mapped in traditional Chinese medicine, that what happens is a signal kind of gets sent back to the amygdala to calm down. And as you keep doing it, and as you're met with presence, that the, as the amygdala calms down, the rest of the brain and the nervous system which is designed to be in safety and wholeness and designed to be able to regulate itself can complete the process. It can complete the fear or the anger response and the chemicals in our body get metabolized. The nervous system starts to go back into that more ventral vagal safety, social connection response. So back into that kind of heart grounded space. And then what's really fascinating with uh, tapping in particular is as the kind of practitioner, you try very hard not to offer reframes. So I don't know if you've ever had uh, the more traditional therapy where it's like, oh, you know, have you thought of looking at it like this? 
where essentially I'm trying to like spray deodorant on your, on your thinking and be like, look, it actually smells really good. We found that something really interesting with tapping is that as the stress response comes down and sometimes people get a bit teary, people yawn, people get a little bit of shiver, people laugh a lot, they'll kind of stop themselves and go, do you know what? It's actually really funny when I think about it now. And, and actually what I remember was there was this resource there and I'd completely forgotten about it. Mm. And so the brain naturally begins to reorganize and, and reframe it. And it sticks because it's coming from the person rather than me trying to, well, if you just thought differently about it, you wouldn't be stressed. Mm. Um, so there's been a lot, there's loads and loads of research. Um, again, Dr. Peter has a lot up there around uh, the cortisol drops in the body and the release of GABA and all of these ox oxytocin uh, as people tap. Uh, it's used quite extensively for PTSD. So particularly in the States, there's a lot of organizations that use it for uh, returning war veterans who have got PTSD. Uh, Peter uses a lot in the area of uh, food cravings, eating disorders, weight loss, uh, because again, most of our creature comforts around food are emotional eating. So again, when you deal with the underlying emotional thing, often the craving or the relationship to the food changes. It's used in peak performance for athletes. So more and more you're starting to see pro athletes on, on fields kind of tapping on the side of their head or kind of doing this just before they're getting ready. Because again, our mind has a big impact on our physiology. Um, and it's, it's also, I use it a lot in the area of working with dreams. Uh, I do a lot of trauma clients as well, but also personally and, and for some of my clients as well, it's, it's looking at, okay, what's that belief about that thing we call God or, you know, what is it that you feel yourself being led into, but that maybe some of your historical church upbringing is bringing up a lot of fear about and. What happens if we just meet that fear and do some tapping? Let's just see. Let's just be curious. Um, and and the other thing I would say about it is, for me, it's that as the tapping kind of down-regulates my nervous system and as it kind of calms that amygdala response, a lot of it is I'm actually able just to stay present yes. and I'm able to stay in compassionate awareness of this something that's happening in my body. And as I meet it with that compassionate, loving presence, um, it changes, it shifts. It might not fully go away or it might, or it shifts into something completely different. And so I think as a ongoing practice, emotional freedom techniques is the ability to stay more and more in presence and to have more capacity to meet all of those guests that visit us each day that sometimes aren't the most pleasant guests um, yes. and, and cultivating that, that love and acceptance, which is one of the kind of premises of most EFT sessions is even though I'm experiencing this, I love and accept myself anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of exposure, acceptance, mm. um, moving into that loving grounded space. I love how much this feels like 
a biohack, <laughs> you know, like yeah. if so much of this, if so much of trauma and the emotional reactions that we have from day to day, when we perceive, you know, threat or danger on a very, you know, subconscious level, but our whole nervous system is like, okay, it's time to freak out now or get anxious or depressed or to zone out or whatever, you know, whether we're going into sympathetic or dorsal vagal shutdown, yeah. our body is like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> like This is, um, but I love that there is something that we can do in our bodies to respond to that and to down-regulate, like to get back to that place of presence, that heart space where we can have that compassion and acceptance because sometimes that feels like the most impossible thing. If you are, you know, severely triggered, you're panicking. Yeah. Um, the thought of like just accepting the panic just feels so big and, yes. you know, out of reach. Um, so I love that there's a physical way to be able to tap through that. Yeah. And like, honestly, I am doing it all of the time. Um, and, and how I actually found EFT was, was predominantly when I was looking for what's a tool that I can teach young people experiencing homelessness who mm. don't go up to their appointments all of the time and who don't want to talk about their stuff anymore. And I saw this tapping thing. And like, honestly, you've got someone being like, even though I feel this, 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 you're like, you look insane. Um, and I was like, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things on YouTube that look like EFT, but aren't quite evidence-based clinical EFT and they're a bit not quite research-based. And so I was like, not interested. This is all just hippie stuff. And I had a friend of mine who is this amazing uh, Russian woman who speaks like seven languages and was a consultant for one of the big firms in the world. And she was like, oh, EFT changed my life. I was like, what? You were like the most no-nonsense person I've ever met in my life. I'm a little bit scared of you. Um, and she's like, oh, yeah, completely changed my fear of flying. I do it when I've got a big project and I'm just like, oh, I'm never going to get this project done. So I started to research it and it was one of those I don't know, probably back in the day, I'd say it was one of those ordained moments where I found this documentary of an amazing woman called Dr. Laurie Layden, who's based over in the States. Shout out, Dr. Laurie, uh, who went over to Rwanda to work with survivors of the Rwanda genocide uh, because, funnily enough, there was a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder going on there. And she was kind of this one woman, she had a small team, in this rural part of Rwanda and they're like, so like help us do something. <laughs> She's like, oh crap. Um, and so she actually worked with local churches and the local schools. She got together a, a group of young people, kind of youth ambassadors and some of the church leaders. And she taught them just this very simple technique. Um, and I think the stats say they saw a reduction in 90% of PTSD symptoms within the three months I think that she was there so kids weren't waking up screaming in the middle of the night anymore and and these weren't just like you know middle class white people traumas which are, are just as valid as well this is this is the survivors agenda this is watching mum and dad be beheaded and, and and living next door to the person who did it um, and so it was also a big part of their reconciliation process of if you, if you want to build peace, you, you've got to deal with all of that rage in your body and that, that survival energy. 
And then as she was doing that, the um, uh, Sandy Hook shooting happened over in Connecticut. Um, and she was brought over to help coordinate some of the healing response there. <clears throat> and again, teaching people this very simple technique. You know, she trained health professionals to use it in a more clinical setting. But the, the gift of EFT is that, you know, I might know all of the ins and outs of the particular processes and you know, this question or this type of stuff. But it's also something where we say, you know, hey, it's it's actually really simple. Like when you're at home, like, or you're triggered, just start tapping. Or, um, you know, we give people homework called a peace procedure, which is go and list all of the things in your life which you wish happened differently or didn't happen mm. and give it a little title. And as you think of that, just notice the intensity in your body, give it a rating out of 10 and just do some tapping. You know, even though I've got this Sunday afternoon memory and it makes me feel sad, I love and accept myself anyway, just as a little practice each day, 10, 15 minutes, just tap on one of those memories or one of those triggers and just see what happens. And if it's a big one, you know, call someone, get a tapping buddy. If it's a really big one, maybe call your, your therapist and, and have a session where someone can hold you and guide you through the intensity of that. But, mm. um, so I ended up emailing Laurie. Uh, got put in contact with Dr. Peter in, in Australia who just randomly met me for coffee because she happened to be in Melbourne. And then for some <laughs> some madness in her mind, she just went, sure, you can come and do my training uh, for free and kind of just started mentoring me in it and then brought me on as a trainer for her evidence-based EFT trainings that she does for health professionals. And, yeah, it's been a, a huge part of my life since then. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And I love um, how easy it is. It's a very simple technique. I mean, I remember, mm -hmm. I, I can't remember where I first learned about it. It actually might've been while I was in the convent, like in Rome, I remember one of the sisters like went to some sort of workshop on it or something and came home and taught us. And that might've been the first time, but I do remember after leaving the convent, I'm going home as a lot of trauma and difficult things were surfacing like mm. when I was at work, just taking my 15 minute break in my car, <laughs> like tapping yeah. and I'm like, okay, you know, just try at that point, not even knowing sometimes what the triggers were, but just knowing that yeah. I felt overwhelmed in my body and using that as something to bring me back down so I could get through the rest of my day. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, that's the, the best gift you can give someone in the moment is okay, when we might not be resolving like the deep roots of it right in this session, but we can at least take the edge off and we can at least put you back in your body and, yeah. and make you feel safe here. And, and then as we build and cultivate that safety, maybe then we can look at the roots or, or some of the bigger emotional aspects of it. But yes. definitely like I've been on planes and had, uh, so I, at one point I used to travel a lot for work when the world was still open. Um, I, you know, people would freak out as the plane took off, or we'd hit turbulence and there'd be me as this kind of weirdo being like, I know this is going to be really weird, but I'm just going to get you to tap on this spot with me right now. You know, everything's okay. <laughs> just tap. And I sit on planes, like I've obviously done enough tapping, that I don't care what people think about me anymore. Cause I'll sit there on a two hour flight being like, I'm going to do some work on myself. So what am I sensing? What are my blocks right now? And I'll just sit in the plane kind of tapping away and. It's good for goal setting. So as you're uh, 
you know, you're setting a goal for your business or something and you're like, you know, by the end of 2021, I'm going to have my website up or I'm going to, you know, have 20 clients. And then we talk in EFT about uh, tail lenders, which is that little voice that goes, yeah, but, you know, you've never done it before or you say you're always going to do this or no one's going to do this. We're like, okay, so let's turn to that voice instead of pushing it away. Let's turn to it. How strong is it? Mm. Even though I'm not going to get this done. And we kind of bring that down, you know, do you have a memory of, of where you've tried something in the past and it didn't happen? Oh, yeah, it reminds me of when I was, ah, of course, as you think of that memory, how intense is that in the body? And then again, we just kind of test it because it's a very good well to talk about these things. But my passion has always been like, does it work? Yes. <laughs> um, Cool. So now as you think about being able to build your business or being able to have that difficult conversation, what do you notice now? It's like, oh, actually, it's not that scary. Or, mm. no, I really think I can do it. Um, and, yeah, it, it's really fascinating. I particularly like using it. Um, one of my, like, just fun ones that I like doing is using it for people with food cravings. Mm. Um, fascinating all of the emotional baggage around food and how quickly your taste will change um, when you take the emotional overlay of some of our yeah Mitch I'm wondering if you could lead me and anybody watching through a brief exercise just so that people have an idea of what this looks like you know and um, do you have any exercises either on your website or someplace that you recommend people go if they want to learn more yeah I would look up should probably pimp out my own website a bit more but I would definitely look up Dr Peter Stapleton okay uh yeah so p-e-t-a uh, Stapleton, so a lady doctor. Um, Wonderful. With your accent, I thought you were so saying Peter. Yeah, <laughs> Peter. So she's got uh, lots of really good research, easy to understand exercises up there. Or you can always shoot me an email, and I'm, I'm generally pretty pretty happy to chat to anyone. But there's there's two exercises that we kind of do as a little bit of a demonstration. Uh, one, which I won't get you to do right now, Kelly, because you're sitting and you've got earphones in, but one we like to do in trainings just to give people a little bit of an understanding of it is we invite people to kind of stand up, kind of just wiggle around and invite them to see how close to the ground they can get their feet. So can you touch your toes? Now, if you're anything like me, I kind of get about halfway through my shins and, uh, my hamstrings just get really tired, my lower back get tight. So one could say that that is an example of there's some stress and tension in the body. Hmm. We would just kind of go, you know, how intense is that stress, that tension in your body? Give it a rating out of 10, 10 being like, oh, it's so intense. It's so painful. Like I'm never going to be able to touch my toes. Zero being like my palms are flat on the floor. I am a yogi um, extraordinaire generally somewhere, somewhere in between there. And we would just start off with, even though I've got all of this tension in the back of my legs, I can accept that about myself, even though it really hurts when I try and touch my toes. I've never been able to touch my toes before. I love and accept myself anyway. So we do this three times, even though there's all this pain and all of this tension in the back of my legs, I could never touch my toes. And that makes me feel angry or sad love and accept myself anyway. Then we would do uh, the reminder phrase, which is just where taking what we just said then, kind of putting it into a few words. So it would be, 
this pain in the back of my legs, this tension in the back of my legs. I'm never going to touch my toes. All this pain, it's really frustrating. All of this tension, just got all of this tension in my legs. It really hurts when I try and touch my toes. So I don't want to do it. Let me just say, take a breath. And then touch your toes. See, and just notice if there's any difference there. Now, some people have our kind of like one session wonders where all of a sudden they can touch their toes. Most people will get some incremental shifts and change. And we would just say, keep going. Hmm. But there's another one we can do, particularly with you right now, Kelly, as you'll get your earphones in, is, and it's just when we do around breathing. Hmm. So if you were to just take in a breath now and just notice kind of how full that breath is, or if there's any tension in your kind of chest. So would you say there's some tension in your breathing? You're not able to take a full breath? Yeah, I feel in my upper diaphragm, it feels kind of constricted. Yeah, if you were to give that constriction in your upper diaphragm a rating out of 10, 10 being like it's really constricted, zero being, that's no, pretty calm, it's relaxed. Um, I'd give it maybe, let's say a five. A five, okay. So maybe we could play with this idea of breathing about 50%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. So we would just, it doesn't matter which side of the hand you start on, but we just start at this kind of fleshy point. We start tapping. You can repeat after me if you want, Kelly. Even though. Even though. I've got all this constriction. I've got all this constriction. In my diaphragm. In my diaphragm. I love and accept myself anyway. I love and accept myself anyway. Even though. Even though. I can't take a full breath. I can't take a full breath. Because of this constriction. Because of this constriction. I love and accept myself anyway. I love and accept myself anyway. Even though. Even though. I'd really love to take a full breath. I'd really love to take a full breath. But I'm holding some tension. But I'm holding some tension. In my diaphragm. In my diaphragm. I love and accept myself anyway. I love and accept myself anyway. Then we go to the eyebrow point. All this constriction. All this constriction. Then we go to the side of the eye. It's constriction in my diaphragm. It's constriction in my diaphragm. All of this constriction. All of this constriction. It's tension in my diaphragm. It's tension in my diaphragm. Can't take a full breath. Can't take a full breath. I feel just constricted. I feel constricted. Something in my diaphragm. Something in my diaphragm. Feels really constricted. Feels really constricted. Like I can't take a full breath. Like I can't take a full breath. So that would be one round. So we would invite you just to kind of notice whatever you're noticing. Maybe you just kind of wriggle, feel into your body. And then again, just inviting you, we've got to test our work to know whether we're on the right path. So just kind of taking in a bit of a breath, just gently. And just noticing is that constriction still a five? Has it gone up? Has it gone down? Interesting. It feels less in my upper diaphragm, like maybe a three, but I feel more in like my lower abdomen now. Yeah. And that often happens is you we become more in contact with our body. So there's a lessening there and a little bit more in the lower abdomen. So 
do you want to keep going? Sure, let's do one more round. Yeah. So <clears throat> how would you rate the tension in your lower abdomen? You give that a zero to 10. Um, that's also lower, like maybe a three. All right. So kind of tension in this lower abdomen region altogether. Mm -hmm. right? so, and since it is a three Kelly, so it's like a low activation. If it had maybe an emotion, hmm. what might it be? Hmm. It's okay if there isn't any. The word that popped up was apprehension. Ah, awesome. Cool. Mm -hmm. Now let's just throw that one in there. Cool. Even though. Even though. There's still some tension. There's still some tension. In my lower abdomen. In my lower abdomen. I can accept that right now. I can accept that right now. Even though. Even though. There's something like apprehension. There's something like apprehension. Living in my lower abdomen. Living in my lower abdomen. I love and accept it anyway. I love it and I accept it anyway. Even though. Even though. There's something that feels apprehensive. There's something that feels apprehensive. And it's constricting in my lower abdomen. And it's constricting in my lower abdomen. I love and accept it anyway. I love it and accept it anyway. Alrighty. This apprehension feeling. This apprehension feeling. It's constricting. It's constricting. In my lower abdomen. In my lower abdomen. Something feels apprehensive. Something feels apprehensive. And it's affecting my breathing. And it's affecting my breathing. It feels constricted. It feels constricted. Like I can't take in a full breath. Like I can't take in a full breath. There's something apprehensive about it. Something apprehensive about it. And so we could keep going, but just for the sake of the demo, we'll take in just kind of noticing, kind of sensing the back of your legs on the chair, feet on the ground, and then just coming back to that sensation in the stomach, that constriction, restriction, apprehension, just noticing whatever you're noticing. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I notice when I'm attending to my lower abdomen, like it feels more mobile, but now I'm also noticing like, oh, now my back feels, you know, it's like interesting how that <laughs> moves, you know, like, oh, yeah. what's not moving? Yeah. And if you were to take in a breath now, just what do you notice about the quality of your breathing or your capacity for breath? that it's fuller from when we first started but yeah that my back is now asking for my attention so i feel like that's something yeah. that i yeah would have to continue tapping on yeah and that and this is the thing sometimes it can be like peeling the onion layer mm -hmm. um sometimes we have these sessions where it honestly feels like a miracle you do three tapping rounds and someone's deep dark trauma is resolved or the pain in their body's gone and then other times it's just the slow, gradual work because um, we're building that safety and capacity in the body to go, oh, it's okay for my stomach to relax. Um, mm -hmm. There's nothing to be apprehensive about. 
because we, we never want to go faster than the slowest part of us. Mm. Um, and one of the other ways that I, I use tapping um, is just as a general, if I am doing some contemplative practice or prayer, is I just include this in it. So if, if I was to use the Lord's Prayer or the Serenity Prayer, just each line has mm. some slow, gentle tapping, which again is this kind of, I'm a body that's praying. I'm a body that's contemplating. Mm. And if you're anything like me, generally your mind is swirling when you're trying to do these contemplative ex exercises. And then if I'm in a really bad mood, then I get judgmental about my why can't I do this? And now oh, my mind's always going. So I might start with, you know, even though my mind's whirling, like that's okay. And just kind of doing this, the studies show us just the mere act of doing the tapping uh, kind of releases those chemicals in the body that begin to calm us down, slow the heart rate, um, put us in that rest and digest, stay and play, mm -hmm. uh, reduce cortisol, which is much more conducive to contemplative exercises that when you're stressed up. Yes, yes, totally. Uh, it's a, another real easy way to just incorporate this practice or a body practice is, okay, I'm just going to notice my tensions and tap and breathe, say whatever particular prayers I'm doing or however you play with it. It's pretty hard to get it wrong. Yeah, and I love that because I, I find that's often the biggest obstacle to spiritual practice is that, you know, we say like, I, I just can't get myself to pray or I can't find time to, you know, do my sit or meditation. But generally that's because we're stuck in sympathetic, right? We're stuck yeah. in the, the buzzy energy and it's hard for us to get our brains to shut off. And so suddenly we find ourselves like organizing the hall closet, you know, instead of doing my, <laughs> my sit or like, oh, well, I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to, you know, we do something else, yeah. which is generally just some part of us avoiding sitting in that space because we don't feel safe enough. And so yeah. being able to tap through that so that we can return or get closer anyway to that place of yeah. safety where I feel calm in my body and I can be present and still, and that doesn't feel terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, that's totally it is. It's like, you know, maybe that's my goal. Maybe my goal is to do a 20 minute sit. As I think about it, I can immediately feel this, nah. Or I can think of a hundred other things I want to do now. Okay, so we were just really curious about, as you think about having your sit, is there any intensity in your body right now? Yeah, there's a six out of 10, no way. Even though mm -hmm. there's no way I'm doing this. Uh, I, I don't want to do it. Stupid prayers. Um, I love and accept myself anyway, mm. which I think is the whole point of most of these things is come to the mat, come to the altar and, and whatever state you're in, it's okay. Yes. And if we've just got this tool that can be like, cool, I'm going to meet my resistance. I'm going to meet this fear that goes, I don't want to sit with myself right now because I'm terrified or I'm mm -hmm. scared, angry. Then again, we've just got this thing that can downregulate, drop us back into our body and our heart space. It's a beautiful thing to do with another person. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about borrowed benefits. Uh, so because we're all connected, mirror neurons, um, if I'm tapping with you, Kelly, on, a, on your resistance to prayer, in order for me to understand or have any form of empathy, I've obviously got a link to my own experiences of, oh, yeah, I know where I'm resistant to prayer as well, or contemplative practice. So as I'm leading you through the exercise, 
I'm also getting the benefits of working on my own stuff as well. So that's quite mm. a, a reported uh, phenomenon in tapping. Uh, and often therapists report that they feel a lot more energized at the end of their tapping sessions than just their talk therapy because mm-hmm. you're often dealing with your own stuff <laughs> at the same time. So, yeah, um, yeah, I yeah. love that. And I um, was just talking to someone else about, um, you know, that idea in neuroscience of a, a shared window of tolerance, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, I, I have so much that I can tolerate, you know, as far as like sympathetic activation or whatever it is before I go into shut down that kind of dorsal vagal, but because of that, the co-regulation that happens between us and because my nervous system is kind of resonating with whatever is going on over there, even just what I read in your face and your tone of voice, the kind of presence that you bring, that that can help me down-regulate. And so I love that. I mean, just as you mentioned before, like if it's something really big, do it with somebody else. And it's not Mm. just because you know, you're an expert at this, but it's also because you bring that depth of presence that makes your body, my body feel safe enough to do this. Yeah. And it widens my window of tolerance when you bring yours as well. Yeah. And look, I still, you know, there will be things that I go to tap on and I'm like, oh, it's not shifting. It's not shifting. And, and one thing is I, I might not be actually on the right track or whatever likely is my my wisdom goes, honey, you can't handle this by yourself right now. <laughs> like, mm. You need someone who can, one, hold, hold you to this process, but also a lot of our healing is, is the witnessing of our pain. So yes. having someone who is grounded and spacious and accepting whilst I sit there and rage at something that was done to me or I am judgmental or I sit there and I weep and I cry, and someone's going, hey, like I'm here. I love and accept you right now. You know, let's come on. Let's we can we can meet this together. Yes. And then I'm like, and that was actually what happened in my very first training um, uh, with Dr. Peter. <laughs> so you, you try not in your trainings. You try not to bring like your deepest, darkest traumas, but occasionally they surface in in this shared nervous system of a bunch of therapists together um who generally are too busy to go and have their own therapy so we're like training yes let's work on all their own stuff and um we were doing a section on trauma i think and and i just got triggered into my pray the gay away stuff Mm -hmm. and i just like my body was shaking and Mm -hmm. i was like hyperventilating and I just like my very rigid heart at that point I was still a compassionate person but I was very defended against Mm -hmm. my own stuff just unraveled as my body obviously sensed the safety Mm -hmm. um and yeah this this woman I didn't know her but I picked her because I was like I don't know I feel safe with you for some reason so I sat with her we went through the process of a particular memory in, in the prayer counseling where some stuff had been said to me, which was pretty hurtful. And I just wept and, and you know, when you're hot and you're sweaty after crying, because my body just discharged all of this stuff. And, and at the end of it, I was like, Oh my God, I can breathe. Like, yeah. Oh, Oh, I remember feeling like this. Um, 
And, and I don't think I could have ever gotten there by myself. I don't think it would have been safe for me to get there by myself. Yes. So, which is, which is the, the joy and the, the, the gift of shared spiritual practice. And I, and I think EFT is and can be a, a part of the spiritual practice. Yes. I think that's um, what's so huge about having those kinds of friendships, having a coach, therapist, spiritual mm. director, somebody who's able to hold that space so deeply and I can name on, you know, one, maybe two hands, the number of people that I've met in my life who have that depth of presence where I just, you know, within 30 seconds of meeting them or starting a conversation, you're like, yeah, your whole body just kind of goes (laughs) in and you're like, oh, thank you for just pulling me into this gorgeous, spacious place. Um, But that's really the magic of any good therapy or any good spiritual direction is if that person offers that kind of presence and has regulated their own nervous system enough to offer it to you. Yeah. It's not, it's not the modalities. It's not the techniques. It's not the tools. Like you can have, you know, dozens of letters after your name, but if you're not able to offer that depth of presence, it's pretty hard for real lasting healing to happen. Yeah. And that, that was the question I was going to ask you is what do you think it is that those people have done that marks them as that? person of presence and I think you just answered it there it's they've done their work they've faced off with their own like pain and and anger and rage and and so when it shows up in you they're just like oh yeah I know this I know I know there's the end to this and I can be yeah yeah absolutely it's um not only that you've done your work but you continue to you know because we're all I think that's one of the marks of of wisdom and of spiritual maturity is recognizing that we're always going to be a work in progress um, and that we're constantly, just like you said, like just last night I was tapping, you know, sitting. Yeah. Um, Funnily enough, I was tapping on some of my perfectionism issues of (laughs) never be perfect. And if I get it wrong, I'll be judged. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Which is so ironic, but all that's, that's why I like to say that like all of us are beginners and all of us are elders, you know, because all of us have some sort of wisdom to share, but we, every day we need to have that humility to say, okay, I'm still figuring this out too. Like none of us are gurus who just are masters. And as much as we want to believe that as much as our egos like to kind of cling to that sense of security and certainty, like, oh, but at least least Gandhi knew what was going on. At least Richard Rohr knows what's going on. At least Thomas Merton, whoever, you know, like whoever yeah. your, your idol is. And it's nice to have heroes, but it's also really um, helpful to know that we're still all in this together. Yeah. And I think like, you know, those heroes, and I, I would, I, I would lean towards uh, Richard Rohr in particular, like part of what makes him so lovable and so seemingly safe for people is he's the first person to go guys like I'm I'm far off like I <laughs> like I'm cranky like I prefer being in my hermit hermitage away from everyone like and again it's those people who have met their unlovely parts and who go yes they're here and I love them and they're at the table they're just not running the show yes um, or who can go oh they came out and we've got a practice and a, and a presence to be able to repair. Mm-hmm. I think so much of that is our healing as well as, you know, you and I might have a conversation and I get triggered off into something, and, you know, Kelly's me, 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 me. Um, 
And likely that's, I'm being triggered off into something that happened 10 years ago. Sure. And when you've got this, even though Kelly, she did this, I'm really annoyed. And then you go, oh, it's actually got nothing to do with her. Um, And then we repair again. That's something for my nervous system to go. Oh, I don't have to get it right all the time. Or there's a way back when connection is broken. Yes. I love that. What we're so terrified of is if I do the wrong thing, connection is severed straight away and and I can't get it back. Mm -hmm. Some of us had that experience either through our parents or through our God concept of you you do one one sin and you're out forever. Like that leaves an imprint in the in the body and and leaves a pattern for my relationships of bugger, I've got to be perfect. No wonder why we're stressed all the time if we're constantly like, oh, I can't have a bad thought. or <laughs> Right, right. Or I can't make mistakes or, you know, something terrible is going to happen, something potentially eternal, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. whoa, yeah. no, no pressure. Yeah. Um, Healthy for small children to learn that. <laughs> oof, oof, yeah. And instead to have that kind of mercy and gentleness and expectation that, I recognize from my relationships, you know, it comes into those, gets myelinated in those neural pathways Mm. that once I've, you know, something doesn't jive well, like, you know, I sense something's off. Maybe I said something wrong. Mitch is acting a little bit weird. And then to know though, that we have safety in our relationship and I can say like, Hey, Mitch, is everything okay? Like, you know, things have been off, you know, since, since we talked yesterday and I just wanted to make sure everything's okay. And you say like, yep, I, I actually was just tapping through it. I had this stuff come up and I, we can reconnect again and restore and repair that relationship. So yeah. both of our nervous systems, again, have another example that says, look, remember, like this yeah. is possible. We don't have to think that dire eternal things are going to happen when we mess up. Yeah. In fact, I had that exact experience this week. I was chatting to a friend and we had like just the ever so slight disagreement about something. And it was more so that I was working through a particular experience of shame mm. and this conversation perfectly triggered it. Mm. And it was really interesting to watch my process of first off making the other person wrong well, I'm going to use all of my psychological prowess to pull apart all of the things that are wrong with you and you the wrong person. I mean, like, okay, what are you feeling in your body? I'm feeling shame because I said the wrong thing or I'm not coming across as perfect and having it all together. And if I'm not perfect and have it all together, then people won't love me. Where did you experience that? Okay. Even though I got this memory of, of this and some of them up for me was church stuff of, if you sin, then you lose the Holy Spirit or like God mm. takes his presence away from you. Being like, oh. <laughs> Tapping through that and going, gosh, what an intense thing to be taught as a kid. Like the all-powerful loving deity of the universe will run from you if you <laughs> think a bad thought or something like that. And then the next day I, I messaged my friend and I was like, hey, sorry that I was pretty touchy yesterday. This is what was going on for me. It had nothing to do with you. Um, and yeah, we just chatted it out and things are, things are back on track. Um, Isn't that like miraculous that that can even happen though? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I just, 
I feel like I've had, at least growing up, I had so few examples of that happening, mm. of that kind of the rupture and repair and seeing it done well and mm. um, somebody processing their stuff and actually coming to apologize or say, hey, I had nothing to do with you. Like I take my you know, ownership of the part yeah. that I contributed there. So, you know, just wanted to throw that out there. Like, oh my gosh, who does that? <laughs> you know? Because I think a, a, a bunch of us, good, good folk, what we tend to do is just deny that we're pissed off sure. or deny that we're upset. And we, okay, I've just got to get a, get a, got to get over it. And then we meet each other for coffee like a week later and it's like, hi. And you're like testing the waters and we're, sure. we kind of have this unconscious agreement of, okay, we're just going to pretend it didn't happen. Mm. But again, what happens if like, actually you've both got a practice where you can go, Kelly really pissed me off and your you know, Mitch was a real tetchy little <laughs> butthead before. Oh, actually I'm reminded of my mom. Or I reminded my dad or my siblings and oh, it's got nothing. Hey, Hey girl. Yeah. Sorry that I was an asshole the other day. <laughs> like, like, it's okay. Yeah. Yes. Like and we've got that ability to repair and, and, and lean into each other in, in what is a fairly isolating challenging world at the best of times alone at the moment yeah I, I just find that so um powerful both in like spiritual settings where mm. like we're all still very much human and we all got to work through our stuff but even in work settings you know and I know both of us have spent time doing like leadership development and trainings and things like that and how powerful that is and people can just have real conversations with each other you know, like, let's just offer some frank feedback. You don't necessarily have to be like, tell all, you know, vulnerable, sharing everything in your heart, but still to be able to have those tools to process like, whoa, I mean, that's, that's the basis of emotional intelligence, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there has to be a sense of safety in order to be able to do that, doesn't there? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. For whatever that is going to come up to come up and, um, as, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of something that Dr. Laurie used to say, um, and, it, and it's a big part of her, her focus is on peace building. Mm. And, you know, one of the other areas that I'm passionate about using with, with EFT is, I like to call it uh, a bitch and tap session or a judge, judge thy neighbor, um, which I think is, is really important for where we're at at the moment. Like, I think the world's political, you know, you've got left, you've got right, and you're either one or the other. Or even if we look at this idea of masks and va vaccination, like there's such strong camps with such strong feelings. People are in fear because there's a pandemic happening. We're like, what the heck's happening in our world? Um, and so people are going into these stress responses and I've got to attack my perceived enemy. Mm. So again, that's, that's another area where we can bring the tapping to is, you know, I'm going to think of my political opponent, or I'm going to think of the person who does wear the mask or doesn't wear the mask. And as I think about that person, is there any intensity in my body right now? Yeah, there's a 10 out of 10 hatred or anger. Cool. Even though I hate this person, um, right now I love it even though I think they're a beep I love and accept myself um and as you meet that anger and that I think some of us have to be honest hatred mm -hmm. 
which is generally the seed of his fear. Yeah. And as you as you begin to bring that down and then either go, who do they remind me of in my life or what do they remind me of myself that I don't like? Where am I entitled that I judge myself about or where do I not care about other people? Where do I always have to be right? Oh, yeah, even though I've always got to be right or even though I'm entitled and I hate myself for it. And as we're bringing that down and again, when the fear eyes come off, then I've got the clear eyes to go, to go, oh, this particular political leaning person or this anti-vaxxer or this vaxxer, they're frightened and they're doing the best they can. And, you know, I still might question the conclusion that they've come to, but I don't have to be in fear and hatred and, and bodily fear and rejection mm-hmm. of them. So, again, I think the more that we can kind of bring this in at the moment in the world, giving us a perfect opportunity to meet all of our judgments, then maybe just maybe we can begin to have those conversations where it's like, Hey, like, how do we navigate this together? Like, and look, they'll they'll still trigger you. Like I've got family members that think very, very politically different to me. And I get into my self-righteous ill-informed idiot like how could you think such horrible things okay i need to own that judgment and that projection bring it in and okay can i still have compassion for this person can i still see them in their made in the image of godness or can i still see what is it like if i can hold presence for their fear and not have to convince them or Mm. or something along those lines yeah i think an important aspect of this work as well Yes. I think what I love most about this is how many different um, applications there are, the different contexts that you can use it in, you know, whether it is like, I mean, it pairs well with shadow work. Like you just mentioned, like I'm projecting that into that other person. Where am I actually like that? It works well with like internal family systems. We did a um, episode on that where it's like, oh, I have this part that's getting really activated. Okay. So let's tap through whatever this part's beliefs are. It works in like leadership and emotional intelligence stuff. It works in contemplative practice. It works in you know, whatever is happening in your day to day to just be able to be present in your body in a different way, you know, and use that biohack, if you will. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Um, Before we close today, where are, where should people go if they want to learn more about you, Mitch, or potentially, you know, get in touch with you? Yeah. So probably the easiest thing is to go to my website, which is mitchgainey.com. Pretty simple. Uh, and yeah, you'll find out a little bit more about my my journey. And um, if you're curious about doing some work with me, either in the kind of EFT or that intuition felt sense development space, um, or you just want to have a chat about anything, I'm pretty chatty. I'm in lockdown at the moment, so I've got plenty of time to chat. Um, yeah, shoot me an email and I'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. Is there anything, um, any last words you'd like to leave with, with the folks who are listening today? So many words. Uh, yeah, just that I think, you know, every generation thinks this, every point in history thinks this, but I think we are in a really important time where doing our work and, and finding our grounding and finding that compassionate space 
is the key to navigating whatever's happening, whatever's coming, so that we've got the internal mental resources to imagine a better way forward. Mm. And this is just one tool to help us be in that space more often. Mm. So encourage you to to find that grounding in however you need to do it. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And thanks for um, leading us through that exercise today too. That was lovely. No worries. Thanks, Kelly. It was lovely to have a chat. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you everyone for listening today and feel free. If you have questions, leave them in the comments or to look up Mitch's website, mitchgainey.com and learn more. Thanks everyone. Thanks, Mitch.